Well, we're glad you're here with us. This is my favorite time of year. I absolutely love Christmas. I can't get enough of Christmas. Uh, and if you saw our house about three weeks ago, we put up our three Christmas trees. Three weeks ago. All right? I don't care what the neighbors say. There's one on the porch. There's two inside. And so I want them to know that this is a house that celebrates the birthday of our Lord in every way. Uh, and yesterday, as we walked along Fifth Avenue, we took our morning walk. I spoke to at least five different people and invited them to church, uh, especially some on Christmas Eve. And I hope you will do the same, uh, because I'd love to see this room absolutely filled on Christmas Eve, uh, as it should be. And so I'm going to spend the entire month of December, every Sunday, speaking about some other element of Christmas, some aspect of Christmas, some person or people who are deeply uh, involved in the Christmas story, because I think we can't really hear this story enough. As God intervened forever in earth, as God bankrupted, really, bankrupted heaven to send his son to this world to be the perfect sacrifice once and for all. We can't talk about this uh, enough. And so as I begin today uh, with the first story that I want to uh, bring to your mind, it is really a prequel to the Christmas story. And the foundational aspect of the Christmas story is faith. Faith. There can be no Christmas without faith. You can't be a Christian without faith. Every aspect of the Christmas story begins and ends with faith. Faith in what God did. Faith in the virgin birth. Faith as the wise men traveled 800 miles uh, coming to find the Christ child. Faith, really, as Mary and Joseph stepped out on this enormous venture. Faith that Mary had, knowing that God, what God was doing. And faith today, as you're going to hear in these uh, actors that are going to come forward uh, implicating forever the word of God. And so in the Gospel of Luke, which is where we're going to spend most of our time today, Luke was one of the greatest historians in the history of the world. Even secular historians rec uh, recognize that. There's a prequel, really, if you would have it, uh, to the Christmas story that speaks about the importance of faith. Um, and Luke was a great physician, uh, and he wrote this, this passage, he wrote Luke, uh, in order to speak to a friend of his, Theophilus. And if you look on the board at Luke 1, verses 1 to 4, you will see as follows. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who were from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Notice how really well investigated and researched this is. This is a first-rate historian. He went and had eyewitness testimony. That means that he either spoke to people who were definitely there or spoke to other people who spoke to people who were there. And I believe much of what Luke derived, he derived from his uh, interviews with Mary, and as you know, after Mary left uh, the crucifixion, she spent the rest of her life in Ephesus, 
uh, there with John, the Apostle John, and Luke was there also. So I believe much of this, much of this comes out of these eyewitness testimonies. And you understand why he wrote this, because he believed that if people heard this and saw it, uh, and saw the orderly way in which God presented everything, uh, that they would be moved, and most certainly they were. Uh, and so he recognized that new believers would be created in Jesus as they read the story. Now, he begins the story of the narrative of the birth of Jesus uh, with the impending story of John the Baptist. And we're, we're going to look at that in Luke chapter 1, verses 5 to 17. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Amen? To make ready a people prepared for the Lord, a messenger called by God to prepare the way for Christ. There's so many things in that passage that jump out at me. One of the first is you recognize that Zechariah and Elizabeth had prayed for years, for years for a child, and now they're old. They think that she's probably, they're in their 70s at least, uh, and I'm sure they prayed for years, and they probably ran out of steam. You know how that is. You pray and pray, and then you don't see the answer, and after a while, you get prayer fatigue, all right? You get prayer fatigue, but here you see here that, that he, obviously he had prayed for this, and now he comes and sees the angel, and the amazing thing is when you read Scripture, every single time a human being comes face-to-face -face with an angel, it says they're gripped with fear. They're gripped with fear. Why? Because generally these are large beings, and generally they emanate a light, uh, clearly different from human beings. And so, yes... Yes, you're startled. 
Um, and so the angel delivers the wonderful news. Your prayer is answered. God has heard your prayer. And not only has he heard your prayer, he's going to give you the most incredible gift. Your baby will be one of the greatest prophets ever in the history of the world. He will be the precursor to Jesus Christ. Uh, and he will call back many of his people to salvation even before Jesus comes. Uh, and, and there's a passage here that really resonated with me this week as I read the stories of the arguments uh, about abortion before the Supreme Court. Uh, and you know that it, it seems now, based on the new justices in the Supreme Court, that there's a new season in the Supreme Court. And it appears that a number of the justices uh, are not in favor of abortion. And it was very clear in the oral arguments. And Nancy Pelosi, having heard this, came out with this statement that these justices need to go back to school to learn the uh, birds and the bees because they don't know what they're talking about in terms of the beginning of life. Well, I would say to her, you need to go back to the Bible because read this passage here. This baby will be filled with the Holy Spirit before he is born. How can you fill someone with the Holy Spirit that is not a being, that is not alive? John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit even before he came into the world in the, in the womb of his mother, Elizabeth. And we know this because when Elizabeth later came into contact with her uh, cousin Mary, who was carrying Jesus, it says that the fetus in her womb leapt being in the presence of Jesus Christ because he knew that was the call of his life. What an incredible story here as you see it. And so here you see this incredible message from the angel Gabriel. You want it any more powerful than, than Gabriel himself, who whenever he comes to this world makes incredible messages. He did it with Daniel, and so he did it again. And so here you see, they understand that these were dark days for Israel. The people of Israel had not heard from God for 400 years. The last book of the Old Testament was Malachi, and there, was no, there were no miracles, there were no prophecies, uh, there was really nothing taking place from God intervening with Israel for 400 years. It was a long period, you see, of spiritual darkness. But God had made a promise to the people of Israel. Uh, and he did that in Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. And he said there, But for you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. There's better days coming, Israel. They're coming. The 400 years of darkness is about to end. I'm going to send you a Savior that will forever change Israel and change the world. And so he promised that a Messiah was coming uh, and that a forerunner would announce that very arrival and prepare the way. And you see also this in Malachi chapter 3, uh, verse 1, where he says there very clearly, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord 
Almighty. And so you see, John the Baptist became the veritable bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the bridge between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And so it's very clear from Scripture that this is what was going to go on. And all of this is background for you as Zechariah now is in the temple listening to Gabriel announce he will become a father. And his father will be the veritable messenger that the Old Testament has talked about. Uh, And so they had longed for a son. They'd prayed for years that this would happen. And now the good news has come. Your prayers have been answered. Uh, And Gabriel says to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. The lesson is that God is listening to your prayers. He hears your prayers. The answer may not come as quickly as you want. It may not come exactly in the way you want, but God is listening to your prayers. I want to assure you that as you see that in this story. Uh, and, And so God is telling him, I heard you. I've answered you, and now you will be incredibly blessed. Uh, the Lord noted their humility and the way they lived, how we went to the temple on a regular basis, how Elizabeth came out of the, the inheritance of Aaron, a priest of, of the Old Testament. Uh, and so, yes, they had been praying for more than 30 years, but God heard them, and he was honoring them. Uh, and so here's the key to this message today. How did Zechariah act? An angel. Gabriel, who stood next to God, is delivering the message of hope. He's delivering the prequel to Christmas. And how did this godly man act? And if we we see how a godly man can act, how many more times can we look at our own failings? Uh, And so what happened? Well, here's what happened. Uh, Gabriel, in uh, Zechariah rather, in Luke chapter 1 verse 18, replied to the angel in disbelief. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. Now this is an amazing statement to make to a standing angel. This is not like your neighbor tells you something. You know, it's not like your doctor is giving you your opinion or even your pastor is giving you some wisdom. This is a full-blown full blown angel, Gabriel, who's telling you God has heard your answer. You're going to have a boy. He's going to be a messenger for Christ, uh, and you're going to name him John. I love the fact that they actually give them a name. Here's the name in case you have any confusion. You're going to call him John. I can't believe it. I can't believe what you're... I'm an old man. Look at me. I'm old. Look at her. She's older than I am. (laughs) I mean, when you really, you reflect on it, you see how your humanity can really uh, complicate the will of God in your life. Do you see how your own human tendencies can block your faith? You are now made privy to one of the great things in the history of the world, the great gift that God has given you, and you can't even accept it. Your faith blocks it. And you see, that's the essence of humanity. And this is the key for you. There can be no Christmas for you if you don't have faith. You understand? There can be no Christmas for you when you go back and look at all of the disparate elements that come together at Christmas. None of it, none of it could take place without having faith. 
Well, here's the bottom line. You see, Gabriel didn't react too well to this. He didn't react too well to this. After all, he traveled a long distance. He got it directly from God. I'm sure I can hear him saying this. You go and you tell him this. Yes, sir, I got it. He comes down there after traveling hundreds of millions of miles. He delivers this message, and this guy says, no, nah, that's not, nah, not going to happen. I can't believe it. And this is a priest. This isn't just some guy out in the street. This is a priest. And I want you to think about this as you have your own obstacles in faith. And so uh, Gabriel said to him, and I like this. Uh, Gabriel sounds like he might be from New Jersey. I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news, and now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. It's a judgment. You understand? There's a judgment when you don't believe what God has told you, when your faith fails you. Uh, and and you, see, you see it here in this powerful message as Gabriel basically is saying, do you know who you're talking to? Do you know who you're talking to? Are you talking to me? It's almost like we would say, in a, are you talking to me? Are you talking to me? I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and now there's a judgment on you. You won't be able to speak for nine months. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us if his wife Elizabeth was happy over this. Uh, I'm beginning to think as I delve into the character of Zechariah that that probably could be. He seems like he might have been a difficult guy to convince at times like this, so he's shut down. He's not going to speak. For nine months, can you imagine what that's like? And so if he had exercised faith at that particular moment in time, if he had just exercised faith, he would have believed. He would have believed that God would do this. Instead, he questioned and he doubted. And this is part of the Christmas story. I want you to recognize this as we, we juxtapose it with people of great faith. Uh, and so as a result of this failure, Zechariah would be shut down. He would be mute for the entire nine months of the birth of John the Baptist. But God was not just giving him a son. God was giving him the very forerunner, the greatest prophet that would ever be, according to Jesus Christ, he was giving him a son that would be part of history forever. Uh, and John had been set apart by God when he was still in his mother's womb. We know this in such a powerful way. And so this, you see, as John would be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he would be born, you see that this is a critical lesson for us, that even a godly man can let doubt and fear cloud his vision that he will not let what God really wants from him to take place. That's the first lesson today, understanding that this can happen to all of us. However, there would come a time, you see, uh, when Zechariah would be cured from this torment. And the Bible tells us when the day of John's birth arrived, they were with family and friends, uh, and the couple and all the neighbors are around him, and they want to know what the name of the baby is going to be. They all assumed the baby would be named Zechariah. Zechariah. Well, if that were today, you would hope they wouldn't name him Zechariah. That's not an easy name to walk around with. 
Uh, and, but back then, well, I guess it, would, it was all right. Uh, and, you know, name him Zechariah after his father. But when they were told that the name of the baby would be John, well, the neighbors and friends go, John? What kind of name is John? There's no John in your family. There's, there's no background with John in your family. Uh, nobody in the family had that name, John. Uh, and then when they brought Zechariah into discuss, this discussion, I want you to figure this old guy comes up. He can't talk. And they go, John, what kind of name is John? He takes out a notepad uh, and he writes, his name is John. And instantly, the curtain is brought up. The curse is removed. He can speak. When he uttered the veritable words that the angel Gabriel had given him, when he gave that testimony, his name is John. He confirmed the will of God. And he was instantaneously cured. Uh, you see, faith, faith is a critical part of the Christmas story. It took faith to understand what God was doing, in, uh, incarnating God himself into the body of a baby. It took faith to understand that this would start with a virgin birth. That takes faith. It takes faith for the wise men to travel 800 miles over deserts because of the stars and what they had studied. You understand it. It takes faith for all of the disparate parts to come together. It took faith for Joseph to listen to what his wife said about how she'd been impregnated and to believe her. It took faith, and it took faith for them to travel to Bethlehem, to a humble manger, to be born there, even though they didn't come from that area. They went there in order to basically make true what the Bible had said, that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. They weren't doing that in order to make the Bible come true. They were doing that because Herod had incorporated a tax, and they had to go back. Can you imagine that God put all these disparate elements in motion so that Jesus would be born of a virgin in that manger in Bethlehem of Judea? Can you imagine? Now you understand it. Now you understand why faith is the critical component of what we need. Uh, and so here you have this humble people walking into this manger to give birth to this baby. Uh, but now you will see exceptional faith juxtaposed to Zechariah. And this is the kind of faith God wants you to have, the faith really that surrounds the Christmas story. Uh, and this is the exceptional faith demonstrated by Simeon and Anna. And it comes about when this humble couple comes to present Jesus in the temple eight days after he's born. Uh, and there, it's a purification rite. And they bring that baby to the temple. Uh, and as they do this, according to Luke chapter 2, verses 22 to 24, we read as follows. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. And by the way, that's the precursor for why we have uh, our presentation uh, services here and dedication services where we bring young children and we bless them and pray for them. This is the precursor for that very event. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. 
Uh, and so you see them doing this, this humble couple doing it. This becomes an apostolic tradition for us even today. And so at the temple, as they do this, this humble couple is approached by a man named Simeon, who had been told by the Holy Spirit, not an angel, not Gabriel, but inspired by the Holy Spirit to go to the temple, that he would not die until he saw the Messiah in the temple. And so the Spirit directed him to go to the temple that very day. Uh, and so Simeon takes Jesus in his arms. I can't imagine what this had to be like, to take the Son of God uh, in his arms. And he praised God, saying as follows, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Having seen the Messiah, Simeon is now prepared to die. Look at how God had given him discernment about what he was saying. Yes, this is the Messiah. I know, Simeon, you thought he would be a warrior prince. You thought he would come in on a horse. That's what you thought, but instead it's this baby. It's this baby. And Simeon understood that this baby would be the eyes of salvation for a world. Not just for the Jewish people, but for the entire world. And all of nations would be blessed by, by this baby. Uh, and so Simeon understood that as he blessed this. Now Anna, who lives in the temple, she's 84 years old. She lives in the temple. She now approaches the Holy Family. Uh, and it's a little different approach. Uh, and she recognized that Jesus was the Messiah as well. Again, a visitation from the Holy Spirit. This is what we get today, a visitation from the Holy Spirit. We don't have angels speaking to us, but we have the Holy Spirit speaking to us. And she had a different reaction. At the moment that she really began to speak to the Holy Family, uh, she basically spoke about this child who would redeem all of Jerusalem. She's 84 years old and lived in the temple every day. Uh, and according to Luke, all she wanted to do was proselytize about what God would do. And so like the disciples who were following her, she would be dedicated to Jesus Christ. Yes, Mary was the first woman who understood what God was doing. But Anna, you see, is the first woman to understand and proclaim the good news to the world. To the world! And what I really love about these early stories is that it seems like the women get it more than the men. The women get it earlier in a more provocative way. Uh, and she was also a prophetess uh, uh, as she was the daughter of Peniel, uh, the tribe of, of Asher. Uh, and so what we learn here, she never left the temple. She worshiped day and night. And so obviously fasting, God was going to speak to her. Uh, and she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child who, were, who all were looking forward to. Uh, and you see that in Luke uh, chapter 2, 36 to 38. Uh, and what a powerful visitation this is. Now, this is the kind of faith that God expects us to have. This is what Christmas is founded on. This is what the world must understand. Look, we celebrate Christmas trees. We celebrate the music. We celebrate the gifts. Yes, we even celebrate Santa Claus. But all of that is peripheral. It's peripheral. 
the central point, foundational aspect of Christmas is Jesus Christ, Son of God, sent from heaven to save this earth. That is the central aspect of Christmas. Now, this serves as a powerful example to us today, you see, in our own lives. The importance of faith. You have to have faith that God is speaking to you. You have to have faith to walk with God. You have to have faith to know that this is the Son of God. You have to have faith to tell your children and to tell your friends that this is God in every possible way. It is our very faith through the Holy Spirit that informs us this is God. That is why we don't guess. That is why it's not a fairy tale. This is the basic element of Christianity. It begins at the beginning. And let me assure you, there is no Christmas story for any of us without faith. And so the story of Jesus' birth, you see, uh, is portrayed in the example of discipleship, really. Uh, The women are not only more receptive to the message, they step out in a more powerful way more willing to act upon it. You see that with Elizabeth. You see it in Mary. And we'll see it later at the tomb of Jesus with the the women followers in such a powerful way as they spread the good news about the birth of Jesus. Now, at the same time, and this is important, because this tells you what a quality historian and man of God Luke is. He doesn't paint an idealized idealized portrait of uh, Mary and Joseph. He doesn't paint that. In fact, he paints a very human and realistic picture of this humble couple, uh, striving to be obedient, but not fully understanding, really, not fully understanding everything that's going on. Uh, And look at Luke chapter 2, verses 33 to 35, as you understand this. The child's father and and mother marveled at what was said about him. That's Simeon and Anna. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Oh, can you imagine Mary hearing this? A sword will pierce My soul, she didn't understand fully what that meant. She didn't understand the call of God. But here she began to understand not everyone was going to accept Jesus. Many would not. And we know that in Israel, most did not. Okay? The religious elite repudiated him. And in fact, the religious elite did their best to to crucify Christ. All right? Because they had no faith. Because they did not believe the word of God. And Mary is told right there, as she's not really understanding everything that Simeon and Anna said, she's told right there, and Mary, a sword will pierce your heart. Oh, a sword will pierce my heart. I'm sure she contemplated that, wondering, what what does that mean? A sword will pierce my heart. And Luke is stressing the fact that even as she was coming to fully understand what God was doing, even as she had faith to step out and be the handmaiden of God, to be the mother of Jesus Christ, uh, that she had to reflect on this always. Uh, And Luke tells us that, that she did reflect on this always. As Jesus became a teenager, uh, the Bible tells us that they went down to Nazareth together 
and he was obedient to them, but his mother treasured all these things in her heart. She treasured them, even as she didn't really understand it all, even as she walked in faith, even as she was obedient to God. She treasured them in her heart, and she reflected on them year after year after year. And you could see now uh, as she speaks with Luke and she opens up her heart and speaks to him, this is the essence of faith. And so here's the thing that I want to emphasize with you. Faith means sometimes you don't understand what's taking place. Faith means you don't always see the road clear. Maybe you only see 50 feet ahead. But you walk with faith because you walk with God. Because you understand the promises of God. Yes, God promised me this is his son. Yes, God promised me eternal life. Yes, he promised me all this. And yes, I'm old. And yes, I'm sick. And yes, maybe even I'm failing, but I have faith in you, God. You told me you hold me in the palm of your hand. I take that promise. I have faith in that promise, even as I have faith in that baby in the manger. Yes, it didn't make sense that a maiden, a virgin, would be impregnated by the Holy Spirit. It didn't make sense. It didn't make sense that God himself would bankrupt heaven. And as he did that, would send Christ himself into a manger, in a cave, along with animals. It didn't make sense. It didn't make sense that the wise men would travel 800 miles with all kinds of gifts coming to worship there at that day. It didn't make sense. It didn't make sense that the shepherds who would be out there would hear the first announcement of the birth, birth of Christ. It didn't make sense. But you see, when you have faith, it all makes sense. Because God has written it. He has written it in the sky. And he's written it in your heart. He's written it in your heart. And he speaks to each and every one of you today in the Holy Spirit. Yes, Jesus is my son. Yes, he is the Christ. Yes, he is the Savior of all mankind. This is the lesson today about the importance of faith. Not, don't let any one of you leave here today, leave here today without firmly understanding the importance of faith and communicating this to a lost world. Amen, church? Let's bow in prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you for, for this message. Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for his impact in this world. I thank you for all that you have done for us, for salvation, Father, that you've given us because of Christ. I ask you to bless our people. Let this lesson resonate in their hearts as they leave this place and communicate it to a lost world. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.